Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I am your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted to welcome a very, very accomplished professional from London, UK, Katie Mantua-George. Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ashutosh. It's so great to be here with you. Thank you. Katie is the founder at Being Human Well. She's the speaker author meditation and a meditation teacher and we'll and all of you know i'm partial to authors so she's an author and we'll talk about her book as well today so katie before we start talking about uh, being human well tell me about your journey in brief Yes. So I had a 15-year corporate career Mm -hmm. um, focusing in the talent space. Mm -hmm. So primarily early careers, student programs, apprenticeships, looking at young people and how I could get them into the organizations I worked in Mm -hmm. um, and to help them navigate a difficult time in their careers, which is Mm -hmm. where you're trying to find a purpose and a job and a company and a culture that you Mm -hmm. are um, interested in. So that's the, the last 15 years of my career. And that really came from a desire and a love for helping others, serving others. Mm. Um, and, you know, I studied psychology in my undergraduate and went on to do occupational business psychology for my master's. Mm-hmm. And it was all geared towards how can I serve others better. Mm. Um, so that's the, the short version of the last 15 years before Wonderful. being human well. Wonderful. And then what was your motivation to start being human well? You know, actually, it was a really challenging time in my life about mm. a year, a year and a half ago. I think for a lot of people after the pandemic, we started to think about what our purpose is, um, how we want to spend the rest of our days, mm. um, and whether what we're doing really aligns with our true values. Um, and so around that time, I had a, a quite a complex situation with my most recent employer, and I had the opportunity to either stay and change kind of the area I was working in mm-hmm. or to leave and go to another role. Mm. And with the process being such a long process, I had quite a bit of time to stop and think um, before jumping into something else. I thought, maybe this is a chance for me to actually stop, mm. <laughs> to just slow down. It's been 15 years, which I know is not as long as many people have had their careers, but why not stop for a moment Mm. and reflect on everything you've done, show gratitude for the companies you've worked in, Mm. um, show gratitude for the work that you've done as an individual, but also double check if it's still the direction you want to be going in. I think it's very important for people to do that. So Mm. I did that. And in that space, that's when I wrote the book. It's always been a dream of mine to Mm -hmm. publish a book. I've been a writer in terms of poetry for a long time, ever since I was about seven, eight years old. So I have Mm -hmm. hundreds and hundreds of poems. Um, But I had a particular story I wanted to tell. So that's when I wrote the book, which we can talk about Mm -hmm. later on. But the second thing I really wanted to do was to try and really figure out what is it that I really enjoyed about my corporate career Mm. and where are the problems that I think I could bring solutions to some of the challenges that I had Mm. I didn't want to leave the corporate world and not give something back and not Mm. be part of it Mm. I enjoyed it so I started to pull apart what did I enjoy I loved it when I was doing presentations at universities I enjoyed being a representative for the organizations I was Mm. in on panels and speaking and you know um, talking about the values and culture of those companies Mm -hmm. and I thought 
okay, where are the bits that didn't work so well? And one of the most common themes that came up throughout everywhere I've worked, and most people would agree, is really the lack of empathy in the workplace, in any workplace. Hmm. How do you successfully combine business and the human side of who we are to really drive productivity within the business, but to also make people happy Mm. um, that those two things can work together why is it that the workplace doesn't always feel that empathy has a place a very important place in those contexts Mm. so I decided to go back into the workspace Mm -hmm. meet people who I'd worked with before and introduce the idea and in fact a lot of people were not surprised Mm -hmm. that I was coming with this because Mm -hmm. I was always seen as an empathetic leader so they said this is exactly what I thought you would be doing Mm. come in train us on how to be more empathetic, how to have compassion for our employees, for our clients, for ourselves. Um, So it's a wonderful way of me being able to be on the outside, but to step into multiple different organizations and really Mm. see the impact that I'm making versus Mm. being in one organization and trying to drive change in one place. Mm. So yeah, it's a very long-term personal, um, comes from my personal experience, Mm -hmm. um, but also aligns very closely with my values as a human being as well as uh, an employee. Fascinating, fascinating. And when you talk well-being, how do you define well-being at work? Do you know, I mean, this is such a great question, Ashitos. Mm -hmm. I see well-being at work as an opportunity for us to be our whole selves. Mm -hmm. Now, what I mean by this is I know a lot of people say, be yourself, work, be your whole self, and it's it's getting a bit boring to hear it. But we are, as human beings, in conflict with these different parts of ourselves and different versions of ourselves. Mm. So quite often you would hear, you know, certainly my colleagues or even now when I speak to people who are exiting the workplace or moving or staying, mm. is that they are in conflict in themselves about who they are in the work context and mm. who they are at home. Yeah. And that conflict means that when you're in the workplace, you're spending much more energy and time Mm -hmm. trying to fit in and trying to say the right things that you think other people want to hear that you're not actually just getting on with the job. Mm -hmm. So for me, well-being in the workplace would be being able to bring those pieces together in any context that you're in. Mm -hmm. Um, That would be the solution. (laughs) Fantastic. And uh, over the last three years that we've been all impacted by the pandemic, what have you seen as uh, the impact on well-being in that in the workplace? It's a I it's very sad actually to see and hear the stories um, of what people have been through. And, and now that I'm outside of a specific workplace, I hear more of the stories because people reach out to me and tell me. Mm. Um, I think that there was a real lack of that human connection during the pandemic. And Mm. in some ways, it gave us an opportunity to reflect and find purpose and rethink. Mm. But in other ways, it meant that leaders and managers um, and colleagues were simply unable to recognize when people needed support or it was harder over video Um, and over the phone to really Mm. understand what people's desires were. So there were a lot of kind of surprise resignations, um, a lot of increase in illness, Mm. um, stress, a lot of kind of psychological problems and challenges Mm. because people didn't have that support network they used to have in the office. Mm. So I think the pandemic was a really difficult time to live through. And when I think about some of the biggest challenges in the workplace really is this idea of, 
um, being in a state of fear a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So leaders leading in a in a way that is really to promote productivity by making employees scared. I just be very direct about it. Correct. And also the feeling of uncertainty around I don't know what's coming I don't know which direction the organization's going in I don't know if my job is safe that mm-hmm. uncertainty fosters very really is a negative is opposite of well-being mm-hmm. and the pandemic heightened that so people were even more scared people were even more unsure about mm-hmm. when they would be going back into the office if they would if they would have a job um if they would even see their loved ones let alone mm-hmm. go back into their job so those concepts that were already there were heightened that fear mm. and uncertainty was mm. yeah really expanded well said well said you know when i was reading about you you also speak about meditation and mm. how meditation can help well-being uh, mm. tell me a little bit more about this yes so meditation i've been meditating for many years um just individually so i i find it to be a great tool to stay calm and um to be less stressed and a, a good excuse also to say to my friends and family I'm not here for the next 30 minutes I've okay. got my phone off just to escape <laughs> you know yeah. absolutely <laughs> um and when I was going through this decision making about mm. leaving the corporate world I needed a tool that could help me to truly find mm. peace and to find my true self mm. and meditation was that tool for me so i meditated more and more and i became more fascinated and interested in how it affected my physiology my brain and obviously having studied psychology before i could see the connection between meditation and psychology mm. um and as i started meditating more and more i realized that this is something i would like to share with people so i became a certified teacher through the deepa um, deepak chopra mm-hmm. um certification because i was also conscious that i wanted to stay true to the traditions and the origins of where meditation comes Correct. from versus mm-hmm. um some of the versions that we see in social media which yeah. are which are, are not actually solving this problem of mm. the divided self becoming one mm. Um so I find that with meditation in the workplace you're able to really um respond to situations versus react to situations. Mm. So that has been the biggest benefit for me apart from the stress reduction, the peacefulness, the expansion of my mind and creativity mm. and innovation. Yeah. Really what it meant is that when I was in a situation that could be maybe described as conflict in the workplace which happens mm. all the time and is actually quite healthy, mm. but how do you respond to that conflict in a calm, measured, practical, solutions focused mm. way mm. versus feeling defensive and feeling attacked? and therefore you know ending up having a cloudy vision that you're not able to portray and describe what you're trying to say so i think especially you will know from mm-hmm. all the companies you've worked in all the businesses that you've led that this is a skill that is increasingly more and more necessary for you to have good business good relationship with your employees and your teams mm-hmm. to be able to portray your ideas and describe exactly what you're trying to say without too many of those emotions overtaking the the story you're trying to tell so so for me meditation has an incredibly important place in the workplace um and in personal life it's something that is beneficial for both sides of us well said great response uh let me now move on to uh some other different aspects of well-being and you know when i was reading about this and talking to many people uh there is emotional well-being physical well-being financial well-being social well-being how can we as individuals uh 
try and find a balance between all these different types of uh, well-being to, uh, to ultimately reach the state of nirvana. Yes. Oh, the state of nirvana. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, we'd all love to be there. But <laughs> uh, no, since you mentioned Deepak Chopra, I thought I'll use the word. Yes. Thank you. Yes. You know, actually, the way I see it really is that they are not separate. <laughs> Correct. So, yes, exactly. So actually, what what we do is we overcomplicate our lives and we overcomplicate these different portions of our lives. It's a bit like us talking about the work version of me and the home version of me. There's this social version, this financial version, all these things that we're maybe trying to attain. Um, they're all interlinked. So if you were to try and solve each one individually, you would spend 10 lifetimes mm. try, you know, trying to be satisfied or show appreciation for each element. But if you see them as one holistic opportunity mm -hmm. um, to see that if I was to just focus on being um, calm and being aware of myself, that all of these other things will start to work more smoothly and more easily. And I won't have to consciously decide to work on my finances or to work mm -hmm. on my health. I would just be naturally allowing life to flow. Mm. And it sounds crazy because it doesn't mean you just, you know, meditate all day and things will happen. You yeah, still have to take action. But if you've meditated and if you have this awareness of the wholeness of all of these parts, mm. um, you will more smoothly be more focused and be able to be more productive and naturally work through them in a in a kind of more flowing way than trying to today I'm working on my finance. So they are all part of the same thing, really. Mm, well said. Uh, the other aspect I wanted to get your perspective on was do men and women handle well-being differently? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would love to say no. Mm. <laughs> I would love the answer to be No, but I'm, I'm no. sure they I'm sure women handle it much better. I mean, I, I believe so, but I believe they do. Hmm. Yes. You know, interestingly, I think that men um, shy away from the word well-being, shy away from it. Hmm. When they've decided to look at it, they're yeah. just as good as women. Hmm. But it's that initial trying to get men to, you know, show interest in well-being and to understand the importance of well-being that okay. is the biggest challenge. Mm. But once they're involved, they're very involved. Mm. I think it really is um, society's fault for that. Because we've been told that, you know, men need to man up and they need to have all these technical Correct. skills. And, you know, so they don't really even have the opportunity to show what people might call as the softer side of their being. Because it's a lot more for a man to stand up and say, I am going to go and meditate or I'm going to go and practice some yoga. Mm -hmm. Because eyes will, you know, eyebrows will be raised. People will make a comment so you have to be quite a brave man okay. to say, I'm focusing on my well-being. Um, and that's changing, but it's we've got a long way to go. I agree. And I think you're so right. I mean, I've often said this, that men uh, find it very difficult to express vulnerability yeah. because of just mm. what we've always been told, you know. They do. And you need to be able to express vulnerability to be able to say, I, I'm, I'm going through a process of adjusting to my well-being you know absolutely and I that word vulnerability is 
a huge one and especially in the workplace because people don't feel they can take vulnerability to Correct. the workplace Correct. and if you as a leader show vulnerability and let's be honest most of our leaders are still men mm. if men can show vulnerability and open up just that little little window of vulnerability imagine mm. what everybody else will do because whatever Absolutely. you do reflects right so people will start showing their vulnerability to you and you'll start understanding each other better and you'll have to, you'll find solutions to move forward mm. that vulnerability is holding us back in so many contexts lack mm. of opening up just that little tiny bit <laughs> absolutely well said my other question i've got time for one more question on well-being and then i'll move to your book uh you live in a very very multicultural country mm. how does culture impact well-being and acceptance of well-being yeah i mean well i mean So I I was living I was born in Swaziland in southern Africa. Mm-hmm. Um I am multicultural myself so I'm yeah. a mix of South African and British. Mm-hmm. Um lived in London most of my life. I've just returned from South Africa. I'd been there for 3 years. So mm-hmm. back in London. Yeah. And coming back to London I have to admit that I love how multicultural it is. It's yeah. one of the biggest draws for me Correct. being here. I think the the biggest thing is that you can learn so much from mm-hmm. so many different people and that opportunity to learn is an opportunity for growth and expansion to another level mm-hmm. so obviously i talk a lot about empathy and being able to step into other people's shoes and to understand mm-hmm. their world and their desires and their needs and how they want to function mm-hmm. um and so here is the best place to do that if i was living in a culture where maybe everyone had the same opinions and the same views mm. i would be stepping into one type of view and one type of opinion all the time right. um and that's wonderful but it's not good for my expansion and growth mm. so having that opportunity in london is absolutely incredible and i think that's why you see so much of this energy of innovation mm. and um growth in business as well as personally because all those different perspectives create new thinking that essentially moves the world forwards um so i think that for me it's where i feel expanded mm. and even though it's busy and it's hectic and i have to meditate a little bit more to live in london correct correct <laughs> i love that energy of people sharing ideas mm. and you know you um cheering for each other you know wishing for each other's expansion and growth and collaborating together mm. so that cultural influence is incredible and obviously i love to travel you know i've mentioned to you that i've been to india five yeah. times i yeah. i've got friends from all over the world mm. that is really because i want to understand more of the world and understand more of the people for mm. me to grow as an individual well said uh kiri i'm now going to move to your book uh tell me about your book show me your book and uh, yes. i'm going to ask our viewers and listeners go and check out kiri's book on amazon as well Yeah so this is my book. Okay. It is a book for children. Oh wonderful. Yes, it's called Meadow and Marley's Magical Mix. So there's there are two sides of me. There's one side of me that is very corporate and very structured. Okay. And the other side of me is is very playful and what you can see from my book is it's actually about my real niece and nephew who are called Meadow and Marley and they are also mixed heritage. Um I was looking for books to buy for them and I couldn't mm-hmm. find a single book that had characters who were mixed heritage. Mm-hmm. So I thought I need to solve this problem because I'm always looking to solve problems. <laughs> so I thought you know what I am a writer I've been writing poetry for so many years so why mm-hmm. not publish a book um 
with the main characters being mixed heritage. And it really does link in with everything that I talk about in terms of my values, because mm. my real wish for everybody in life is that they can show up to every situation exactly as they are, who they are, who they want to be with the labels they choose and not the labels that society gives them. Mm. And I wanted Meadow and Molly to grow up being proud of being mixed heritage and not being pushed into other racial categories or other assumptions of, of who they are. Oh, right. um, so they can read that, they can recognize themselves and, you know, they're trying to explore their heritage, which a lot of us are trying to do, right? Mm. Regardless of where we're from, we're exploring our roots and our heritage. Oh, right. And they can do this through the book and, and all every children can read it and recognize the different languages they speak or the different mm. cultures their parents come from. It's not just about that the racial side of things. It's it's about the food you eat and where you've lived throughout your life. That adds to this magical mix that children have. So it's all linked. Um I'm trying to tackle it from a corporate point of view, but also mm -hmm. from a young age so that children don't have to, you know, unravel all of the labels that society yeah. have given them at a later stage. They can mm -hmm. start at the beginning being sure about who they are. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. You also told me that you've been writing poetry for uh, from the time you were five or six years old. Um, any plans to publish a book? Well, quite a few people have said this to me recently. Interestingly, with my poems, they are so deeply personal. Mm. So I've been having this conflict of whether I would want all of that to be out in the world. Mm. I used to write poems at major times throughout my life where I was going through a challenge or where I was going through something particularly exciting. I used to write poems about world events. So I would, as a child, I would watch the news and I would hear about a war, for example, um, or a member of the royal family passing away. And I would, my way of processing my emotions was to write a poem about it so yeah so I have poems that will if you were to read them you could trace what I was going through in mm. that moment in my life so maybe one day someone may be interested when I feel confident enough to reveal to be that vulnerable mm -hmm. actually mm -hmm. to reveal all of that part of me then maybe I will publish it but right now I'm still working on being that vulnerable <laughs> absolutely a little more meditation is needed Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and my last question to you, Katie, and this is for the many, many people who will listen to our conversation. Based on your amazing journey, you know, corporate world, uh, being human well as an author, Swaziland, South Africa, the UK, travel all over the world. What would you say are three lessons or three learnings? you want our viewers and listeners to take away from your own journey and from our conversation? Yes, I would say the first one is really in every context you're in, but in particular in the workplace, mm. see the people around you as human beings. Mm. I think that is, if even if you don't understand empathy and compassion, all the other yeah. things, when you're talking to somebody in the workplace, see them as a human, mm. not as a number or yeah, as right. a, Yes, or as an object who is in the organization, they mm. are a human being and they have yeah. experiences and desires and needs just as you. Mm. So that would be my first one. Mm -hmm. The second one is that your, your sense of inclusion and self is so much more in your control than you may imagine. Mm. Right. <laughs> so quite often we're looking at external parties or external um, objects to help us feel whole, mm. to help us feel included, to help us feel confident. Mm. But actually, we have a lot more control in that yeah. 
than what other people um, are able to do for us. Correct. So there's that blend of the places we're working in that who need to support us, but what mm. is it that you can do mm. to support yourself and to navigate Correct. that? Mm. Um, and also the third one really is to, I would say to be curious mm. because what I have noticed is that when I ask more questions mm. and when I truly listen to what people say in response, I have another level of creativity. Amazing. Absolutely. Mm. Listen to what people are saying to you. Don't make assumptions about what they're going to say. Mm. And if you're wondering what's going on, ask. <laughs> well said. Well said. And on that note, Katie, and your three wonderful lessons, see the people around you as human beings. Second one you sent is, said is, you know, think of the sense of, of, of this, you know, develop a sense of inclusion and self, which is so important, you know, and what I really understood you to say is that love yourself and be able to rely more on your own strengths than to keep looking to others for uh, an endorsement. And the third one is be curious. Thank you so much for speaking to me. Thank you for talking to me about your own journey, about being human well, about meditation, about well-being, and finally about your book. Uh, thank you again and good luck. Thank you, Ashutosh. It's been an absolute pleasure being here. I appreciate the time. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for listening to The Brand Called You videocast and podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website, www.tbcy.in, to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.